In this episode, Ryan and I discuss some of what goes on in a life insurance policy and why. And then we discuss the present and future benefits of rejecting short-term thinking. We had fun as usual, and thank you for listening. Have a great day. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. Here we are once again. We appreciate you joining us. Beautiful Saturday morning for us. Really beautiful. I'm glad the summer's gone. Starting to be a nice fall Texas. So the swimming pool, you got to swim at 65 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I'm all about it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, deep underground, undisclosed location, 20 miles south of Fort Worth, Texas, where we spring forth the truth of the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker with pleasure. Mm-hmm. And we have fun doing it. Yeah. And, and some of you quite enjoy because you continue to leave comments, and we appreciate that. Mostly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Not all comments are created equal. And some, know, are, so, some are really good. Others, eh. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm just saying, we, I don't release comments that um, that contain a lot of profanity or any profanity. Yeah, or that aren't helpful or distracting. Or you're or, promoting other products or products or things like that. Yeah. You know, we're talking about the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker, and uh, pushing forth that idea advancing the uh, work of nelson nash and so but we do we do appreciate the comments we have one you're going to start off with a comment yeah right that did not get released yeah Uh, so so we won't name you right we'll be gracious nice and redacted right just like uh (laughs) on episode 63 and in fact this is so we did episode 65 was red pill finance which people really enjoyed what what about the the uh graphic on that Right. Andrew the ninja knocked it out of the park with that. It was very good. Got a lot of uh, nice beard comments. Thank you. Appreciate that. So Uh, I think everybody should grow a beard and try to, you know, outdo Mr. Griggs. Okay. No. Or we can just leave it as is. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, so red uh, on episode sixty five, this comment, and you know, this happens a lot, and um, and, and so that was sixty five red pill finance. But we were kind of commenting on a previous episode, I think sixty three. Yeah. So sixty three was released. We're commenting on that in sixty five, and there might be more to say on that in a moment. But yeah, so this is a comment. Uh, about an episode where we were commenting on a different episode. but So we're going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but this is kind of, this is normal. So this is what the comment says. This honestly sounds, it's honestly, it's honest. I, it, I'm just going to say it. I, just okay. just read it. This honestly sounds like you guys must structure policies for more commissions and are trying to cover it up. Ooh. Ooh are we trying to cover it up, James? Is that what we're doing? Trying to, trying to Listen, cover it up that we're commission uh, hounds? <laughs> I can't remember his name. <laughs> Listen, uh, you know, you have an opportunity to keep learning, and I encourage you to take it. And it, you know, when you comment, when you say things like this, I mean, it's, it's, let me say, as I was growing up, <clears throat> I learned that it's better to keep your mouth shut and have someone think you're a fool mm. as to open your mouth and prove them right. Mm. So, and I don't want to be too aggressive here. I mean, I get paid commissions and I get paid fees and I spend every check, you know, no question about that. I'm not, I'm not uh, apologetic for that. I don't think commissions are a bad word. I don't think it's a bad way to get paid. Yeah. Um, 
at all. So we're all paid in some way, either 1099 income, W-2 income, real estate investment income, distributions from your corporations, your K-1s, your partnerships. Um, I'm a capitalist. I believe in free markets, fully aware that we do not have free markets in the United States or anywhere else in the world. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, to make a comment like that shows you don't know what you're talking about, which is okay to be ignorant, but it's not okay to remain ignorant. So yeah. you have an opportunity. Well, and this is, so I'll get a little technical at first and kind of break it down. But <laughs> so, yeah, with, you hear a lot online about certain structures, certain policy designs that are supposed to be optimized for cash. And these are the same people who can't wait to get an illustration in front of the client fast enough so that you can sign on the dotted line, get paid, move on. And these right? are also the same people like in the insurance industry, even in the investment world, but in the insurance industry, you know, you create an illustration. Here's the kind of premium that I want to pay. Let me see the relationship between the cash value and the face amount and, you know, understand the numbers. And, and then what goes on, and I think we've talked about this many times, you know, an illustration is an illustration. It's wrong as soon as you hit print. You know, it's projecting out. It's illustrating into the future as if nothing changes. Everything in the world is going to change. Mm-hmm. The future is unknown, which um, I want to come back to that, too. Hayek, one of Hayek's favorite quotes of mine was, the mind cannot foresee its own advance. Right, so we as finite individuals, we want to look at, you know, show me an illustration and, and I want to be able to like put life insurance in a box and just leave it here. Nothing's going to change. It's not true. Everything's going to change. And I'm bringing that up to say this, that, you know, the clients, the prospective clients, shoppers, tire kickers, whomever, say, hey, can you just send me an illustration? Because then they want to take that illustration and go compare it to two others, you know, go to the practitioner finder, ask for illustrations from three different practitioners. Or go out in the big wide world and just ask for quotes and you're going to compare illustrations and the consumer frankly unless they're educated in life insurance um, they don't know what goes on behind the numbers mm-hmm. right so they're trying to make a, a decision based on numbers on a page and they don't know that they don't necessarily understand. how to how to even di- differentiate between illustrations yep. so um it's just not where to start, right. in my opinion. So but, let me button this up because you, okay. got, you got people who are, who are out there who pitch certain kinds of policies, and we call them tight or thin or it, policies where there's a very little itty bitty portion of the overall total annual base, total annual premium going to the base, right? Uh, very thin. We've said before, gone on and on about it, how this jeopardizes the structure out into the future. It's a Frankenstein bit, policy yeah, at the end of the day. And there are so many things wrong with that. We get also comments all the time. What do you mean, you know, correctly structured? Tell me exactly how you structure a policy. Tell me exactly what correctly structured means. And it's like, no, our clients are very well educated on the products that they purchase and put their money in. Almost to the point they know more about life insurance than the average agent walking down the street. I'm being generous to the average agent walking down the street. Yeah. So what happens there is that, look, it's not a mystery, at least it shouldn't be. Life insurance agents are paid commissions, and that commission is a percentage of the base premium in the first year. Okay, that's where the majority of commissions to a life insurance agent is paid. And so 
somebody and, and a, a more sophisticated critic will say, okay, well, if there's almost no base premium in a given policy, then that would mean that there's almost no commission. And that and therefore must be better. And that must be better. Okay, that's as far as that goes is true, right? All great deceptions are half true. Right? If, there's a, if there's enough truth for you to latch on to, then you can fall right down the rabbit hole. Okay, that's as, far, that's as true as far as it goes, right? However, if we reframe things in terms of capital and we recognize the importance of controlling the banking function and accumulating and deploying capital over the course of your lifetime, right? This is a long-term uh, orientation, a long-term posture we're taking. Nelson said, don't be afraid to capitalize and think long-term. So if we want to do what Nelson did and we're following his rules and we're thinking long-range, then we need to stretch our minds beyond cash value as a percentage of premium in the first year. Okay, And if we do that and if we recognize, and especially for most people who are coming to the concept for the first time, uh, they've not yet reached their peak income generating years. What? Right? Talking about what you've seen, uh, what you said about Hayek, the mind cannot foresee its own advance. Things are going to improve, right? For most people, things are, especially those who are financially astute and are investigating the infinite banking concept, things are going to get better. Okay, so as your income increases over the course of your lifetime, your need for control over the banking function is going to increase. Now, if you've got policies that are built for 90% cash value year one, I'm telling you right now, you will not be able to continue to pay that same level of total premium into that policy for as long as you otherwise could. So what will happen is you will go back through the new policy purchase process and restart that commission cycle. Okay, so this idea that we're just going to look at one policy and we're going to talk about commissions paid based on the structure of this one policy at this one point in time, and we're going to give up the perspective of looking out over the whole course of your lifetime, you're only getting a very small part of the overall picture, right? What we want to do, well, what I want to do, what we do in our practice is maximize an individual's ability to accumulate capital in the most efficient manner over the course of their lifetime, right? Not just right now. This is the same attitude that uh, the the anti-single premium whole life people took in the 1980s, Yep. right? Because you got a big old premium in year one, no further premium thereafter, agent gets paid, that's supposed to be evil. Well, it turns out that's the most efficient way to buy life insurance, right? And in fact, a PUA premium is a little itty bitty single premium whole life purchase on That's top exactly of the exactly what it is. Oh, okay, so now we're getting down into contradictory thinking, right? We don't want to we don't want to purchase life insurance efficiently, right? We don't want to structure a policy to accept the kind of premium we can foresee ourselves wanting to pay over the course of our lifetime. We don't want to do that because oh, that would mean having to get too much base premium, and that means too much commission, and you must be a commission hound. Right. Yeah. So when the, when the ability to pay PUA premium is itself all about efficient purchase of life insurance, there's a balance between PUA premium and base premium. And just to say that, I mean, and the balance is, look, I could pay a base premium. That's what Nelson did with most of his policies. They didn't have PUA most of all of his career. So he purchased hundred percent base only. Oh, like that's an evil thing, mm -hmm. right? When you look at those policies, there's nothing wrong with them at all. However, most of us need a uh, access to capital. You know, we need liquidity. So when we start a policy, there there is going to be a loss of liquidity for a time period. 
And so building illustrations where there's the least amount of loss of liquidity in year one to get the consumer to say yes, and the consumer has no idea how the integrity of that policy has been compromised every year into the future. It just doesn't become apparent until typically the fifth, sixth, seventh year. Well, the agent got paid and they're gone or not or whatever, unavailable. Change industry, selling uh, mortgages. Yeah, know. mortgages going back and forth between the mortgage industry on the next crisis, they all get flushed out. So the easiest <laughs> thing to get is a life insurance license, right? So go get one of them and then, oh my gosh, you're an expert and you can spell IBC, so. Um, and I don't want to disparage, I'm not disparaging anybody individually. I'm uh, disparaging the industry. And I've been around for 30 years. And I don't feel obligated to disparage the industry or at all. But I do feel um, obligated somewhat to tell them where they're wrong and how they can improve. Right? And I share with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And I encourage their opportunity to increase their thinking. So my point is this, that that there are five, at least five, major things that are wrong when the base premium is too small. And I believe most the general public does, is not aware of that, and I believe most agents are not aware. Therefore, they can't convey why you wouldn't want to do that. Um, well, it's just like the fee-only, quote-unquote, fee-only planner person we talked about in the 63rd episode where he's charging hundreds of dollars to tell somebody what a mortality-adjusted annualized oh my gosh. rate he, of return he, is. That's like, a continuation of the noise that Nelson talked about. You know, that particular um, way of marketing things is deceptive on fee only but i'm getting paid backdoor commissions or referral fees or revenue shares or whatever you call it well they'll say you know i I tell all the people that i work with that i'm not you know I, i have no conflicts of interest and i'm not receiving revenue from any other that's what they say Mm. <laughs> <coughs> well, and maybe it's true. I don't know the whatever. whether it is or not. the The substance of the analysis is it, it's like I said. It's not that it's incorrect. It's like you can you can fill an analysis with enough assumptions to justify a conclusion and call it correct. And that that can be factual, but not true, right? There's a a, a deeper meaning that's more important and. And it has to start with philosophy, and that's why we start. That's why the, that's where the conversations should begin. It's what is the philosophy we're bringing to the agent-client relationship to contract design. That's where it begins. Not, and that's why I had. A, what is the philosophy that we're building uh, upon when we practice the infinite banking concept? It is not about rate of return. Right, in which all of this focuses on rate of return. If I can make that illustration jump and pop in some particular year into the future, whether you know whether I, the agent or the advisor, understand what that does into the future of that policy, um, you know, is not okay with me. If you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. Right? I'm not saying that you can't learn by application. You can. And that's important, you know, OJT, trial by fire. But when you're dealing with people's money and you don't know what you're doing, stop doing it. Stop. And it's that simple. Take the opportunity to learn and do it correctly. You will become wealthy if you help other people get what they want. Yep. I'm just saying. Okay. And there's a great little point in there about 
and this is I hear it all the time in the Austrian world. It's like um, you know, we, we got to survey people. We just got to give the market what they want, just whatever the consumers want. You know, whatever helps them say yes. And I, I, I don't, ag- I don't like that. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's correct. If it was correct, there would never be any innovation. There'd never be anything new. Sometimes what's needed is education. What? And helping people see the value of something that maybe before they didn't understand. And th- so what, what? What's frustrating? What's triggering is that they're. There's this short-sighted mentality out there that's being paraded in the name of IBC. And the consequence of it... You say that singularly. There's more than one. Oh, I mean it in general. Okay. I mean, a lot of it, whether it's IBC or it's banking, or they use the word bank was, you know, a slight modification on the word in order to sound different and distinct. Like they came up with something that... Yeah, somebody else hadn't already. There's plenty of that out there. And what's going to happen? Because okay, Nelson Nash becoming your own banker published in 2000. YouTube still wasn't a big deal back then, right? We didn't. We probably some of the first, maybe the first, as far as getting out a, a, a serious show on a regular basis. You know, what is this month, uh, year what, and a half? This in? is serious. I'm showing up to have fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like. A lot. Okay, so we're, we're in 2020. The NNI itself didn't come around to what, 2012? 2012. Okay, so all pretty new. And now you've got all these individuals who are who are promoting a short-sighted uh, sort of a jeopardized structure of life insurance. And you got a lot of people who are buying them. And so what will happen, a little prediction here in September 2020, is that these people who think they're going to have the ability to pay a high premium are going to discover that these contracts will not accept those premium dollars what? or they will lose the preferable <clears throat> tax treatment of life insurance and they were what? going they were going to have to come back through the new policy purchase process at an older uh, at an older age a higher attained <clears throat> age hopefully maybe there hasn't been a health consequence or some other underwriting difficulty in the intervening time period who knows uh, and, and and ultimately they're going to end up with more policies than they otherwise would have needed to accept the kind of premium that they already knew they wanted to pay. And we're I'm already getting these people. They're already coming and say like, and that's part of the process. We look at the other life insurance that's in force. We talk about the design. We talk about whether- Oh, let's, let's talk about that as a matter of practice. And we do two, probably two or three times a week. You're talking to people that have either done this Frankenstein type policy, gone through- some kind of a process or click funnel, right? Mm-hmm. So they've either done it, and now a year later or two years later, they need help fixing it. They've discovered that it might not be in their best interest. Mm-hmm. Or they're right up front. They're like, well, I'm talking about this and that and looking about you know, how to get the most efficient policy and what is correctly structured mean. And then you have the conversation up front. They haven't done anything yet, right? And and you can pretty much tell what people are listening to and what they're watching by the words that they use when they engage. Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> okay. like a map. It's like a GPS of you know based on what you're what I'm hearing, what you're telling me. I know exactly where you. It ain't from Nelson Nash. No, 
you know, and that's really all that matters. It doesn't really matter where it's coming from or who the particular <laughs> individual. If it's not Nelson, then what are we talking about? You know here? what? And speaking of comments that that we you know we didn't print it out and it's not going to be released, but it, it had to do with I think that episode sixty three where you know the quote unquote fee only advisors in collusion with the commission salesperson and then the you know all that is all hogwash but there was a comment on there a young guy probably you know a couple of years out of high school i don't know but he's like well james ryan you know uh nelson nash is not the only source for the infinite banking console oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what do you got to read that stuff for <laughs> people don't even read anymore uh i'm adding that i'm just saying that you know, that's not the that's only place silly. to... That's too, that's, I feel bad for the kid. Well, it's kind of like that comment. It's better to keep your mouth closed and have people think you're a fool as to open your mouth and prove them right. I mean, it's just really simple, and it's okay to be quiet. You know, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should do twice as much listening as you do talking. I mean, we all know this. I'm, not just, I'm just saying we all know this. I'm just reminding us all of some basic fundamental truths. Yeah. And it's not like we're against questions. That's where the whole process starts. What questions do you have, right? Um, and, it, and it is an educational process, but stuff like this is frustrating because the ac- it's a moral accusation, right? Oh, you're what? a hound. You don't have... In fact, I got this question this week. Uh, you know, are you a fiduciary? Oh, my gosh. We've talked about that in the past, right? Fiduciary. Explain to me what that means, please. Well, I, right. told, I told him straight up. I was like, no, we, the, a, life, a life insurance agent, by law, <laughs> it does not have a fiduciary relationship with the client. We, we have a fiduciary relationship with the insurance company, right? The, the, the way the principal-agent relationship works in life insurance is that the principal <laughs> is the life insurance company, and the agent represents the life insurance company. That's the way it is. Right, and I, that's just what it is, and that's why you've got a lot of you know all in, all a life insurance agent has to do by law is provide a suitable product for your goals. Suitable suitability. Yep, that's that's it. a threshold. Then there's a, another threshold for an investment advisor or an investment advisor representative or a registered representative, someone who is licensed to sell or offer securities. Then that is a fiduciary threshold. Right, so where you have to have the individual's best interest in mind, uh, rather than just fiduciary is beyond best interest. In my point here, we've talked about it before. You look at the the fiduciary uh, definition of fiduciary changes with every lawsuit. Right, right. And what are they selling? Non guaranteed products. The only huh. place that you can go right past zero, not only can you lose everything, you can go right past zero and be lose beyond what you actually have and then owe that money. Right, but the guy who gave you the account, he's your fiduciary. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. Y'all, even, you know, the individual, I'm not an investment advisor. I don't want that. Uh, that reminds me when you said all the questions, you know, questions are good. We encourage questions and <clears throat> um, previously I've said if you have a legitimate question, you know, an honest, legitimate question, and so I have a lot of questions that are sent to me now that they're prefaced by, James, it's a legitimate question. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. It doesn't hurt yeah, to no. vet the legitimacy prior to asking him. Uh, yeah, no question. Yeah. Um, All right. Talked about 63. Um, you know, this might be a good place for to do this. So the um, what's the alternative to this illustration-based numerical attempt to understand what's going on in life insurance? And I, I think it would be far better. And this isn't discussed anywhere. I think it would be far better to develop an understanding of what's going on in a dividend-paying whole-life contract and why. 
okay, so this is what I walk through with people, and I wrote a Medium article about it, and I think I said something about like how it's a simple way to understand what goes on, and you had an agent, you know, kind of like chiding me, like, oh, oh yeah, real simple, and it is simple, right? It's not. Was it too complicated for the agent? Well, you know, he's a nice guy, but yeah, so this is simple. Has a life insurance license, but when you're breaking it down for the general public, he's the one that says it's too complicated. Oh my gosh. So this is what I tell people. It's like, we want to understand, you know, the purpose of, the, the primary emphasis in implementing the infinite banking concept is to build cash value so that you can take policy loans and go finance whatever it is you're already doing. And so we want to build high cash value early. And the way to do it is to pay a high PUA premium because PUA premium is what builds cash value. And most people- In the early years. In the early years. And most people get that sure. right up, up front. Okay, but why? Why does a PUA premium generate cash value early on? This is never, ever explained. And so with everybody, I walk through this little example. Say, James, I promise to pay you $10,000 a year from now. I'm gonna write that down on this piece of paper, and in a year from now, you present the paper to I'll me. I'll discount that. You can pay I'll me pay eight you. grand today. So that's what I'm talking about. Oh. So James could tomorrow turn around and sell this little claim to somebody, right? To uh, who? Not, I don't, it doesn't matter, nine grand because you know I'm a greedy. Right, so James turns around and is gonna sell that claim to Jana and Jana's gonna pay a discounted price because she has to wait 364 days before she can collect the $10,000. So maybe we assume an annual discount rate of 10% and she's gonna pay $9,000. That $9,000 is the present value of this claim to 10,364 days, right? Okay, now let's add a little wrinkle. Let's say James, instead of me saying I'm gonna promise to pay you 10,000 year from now, I will say, I promise to pay you 10,000 a year from now, so long as you pay me $500 per month up until that time, right? In other words, we can assume an ongoing cost, right? Okay, well, if James then turns around tomorrow to sell this piece of paper to Jana, now what Jana pays James is not just gonna be the present value, it's gonna be the present value net of the ongoing cost, right? She's gonna pay a net present value. It'll be something less than 9,000 because now she's got an ongoing commitment of $500 per month, right? I'm probably going to keep it because now, you know, it's like she, we're down to around two or 3,000 and I'm not really interested. Right, it's getting low, but okay. <laughs> but we've got in that little example, we've got everything we need to understand the essential mm -hmm. elements of what's going on in a dividend paying whole life contract, right? Whereas in that example, I said 10,000 a year from now in life insurance, that's the death benefit. All the death benefit is, is a promised future cash flow. All right. Whereas in the example, I said there's a net present value of that future 10,000 in life insurance, that's the cash value. Right? Whereas in the example I said, Jana is the one that James could sell that promise to pay to, in life insurance, Jana is the life insurance company. All right? James could turn around and sell the contract back to the life insurance company for the cash surrender value, for the net present value of that future death benefit. In the example, I said $500 per month is the ongoing cost. In life insurance, that's your base premium. You're gonna pay base premium until the contract's paid up, you exercise a non-forfeiture option, or you graduate, whichever comes first, all right? But that's all we, okay, now we're in a position to understand why it is that PUA premium or paid up additional premium generates cash value. Paid up additions. Additions means more death benefit, additional death benefit. You're adding death benefit onto the contract. And in life insurance, we say that purchase is paid up, meaning that no further premium in the future is required to keep that new death benefit on the contract. In other words, when you pay a PUA premium, you increase the magnitude of a future cash flow without adding to its ongoing cost. So you've increased up. the death benefit without 
future payments being required. Right. You've increased the magnitude of a future cash flow without adding to the cost required to keep it in force. If that's the case, and it is, then it must also be that when you do it, the net present value, the cash value also rises. Okay, that's why PUA premium generates cash value. So this idea online that base buys insurance and PUA buys cash is wrong. <laughs> PUA premium only generates cash value because it buys more death benefit. What? There's a, now, now you're insinuating that there's some kind of a relationship between death benefit and cash value. And oh my God, in the, oh my gosh, in the infinite banking world, I've said it many times, maybe, and I'm, you know, of course, a lot of times we say things for emphasis, but we're trying to buy the least amount of death benefit mm. and build as much cash value as possible. That's assuming that the needed death benefit has already been solved for. for yeah. Okay, so the idea that death benefit is bad is completely erroneous. Completely. You can't have high cash value without having a high death benefit. And now, let's just continue this on, which was, that was very academic and very good. And you can, it's okay to timestamp this and listen to Mr. Griggs go through that three times. All right, until you wrap your mind around it, because it's really not difficult. And I can see all the agents out there right now time stamping that. Right? Run it, run it. Okay, and I love you. Right, it's all. Just know y'all heard it here first. Love, okay. peace, and chicken grease. If by construct, the cash value in a whole life policy must equal the face amount at maturity, and the only time a policy matures is when it goes to age 120 currently in 2020 all life insurance is constructed over a theoretical life expectancy of 120 years all life insurance is priced and constructed over a 120 year theoretical life expectancy okay so if the cash value must equal the face amount at age 120 i have a very simple straightforward question for you please would you want a high death benefit or a low death benefit. I rest my case. Yeah. Other than the cash value in the early years is important. None of us want to suffer a loss of liquidity. Well, pray tell, why do you invest in real estate? You know, if I pay, you know, whatever, $100,000 or a million, it doesn't care. Move the decimals around. I don't care. If I pay a million dollars for a piece of property today, that is a market value because that exchange happened. Mm -hmm. All right, well, if I'm the only one that did that, what's the market value to anyone else? And how quickly can I get my million dollars out of that? What mm -hmm. must I endure to get my million dollars out of that? Mm. Do I gotta go to a third-party lender, jump through their hoops and leverage that, right? borrow against that, my equity that I paid in there? Do I just wait until the next guy comes along and buys it? I mean, am I suffering a loss of liquidity? Yep, absolutely. What? How about if I go buy a car and I pay cash for the car, right? Because I don't want to pay any interest or because I don't want monthly payments. How, I mean, how much of a loss of liquidity am I going to suffer? And how long is that time period? Mm -hmm. I say that the time period is unknown right. in real estate or the automobile or whatever. Now, if I lose liquidity when I purchase a life insurance policy, and I do on a properly structured policy for a time period, 
I have the ability to look into the future and see what that time period is. Where else can you do that? Can you do that in the stock market? Really? No. And so this idea that commissions are yeah, bad that's really good. and the you know cash value must be 100% in year one, don't practice banking because that isn't practicing banking. Right. And then, and two, look, if you, if you, um, you, the individual, the consumer, or the promoters of this erroneous thinking, because this is just a continuation of noise and thinking, right? Nelson said, rethink your thinking. He got to thinking, 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 you know, uh, whatever, 40% of the people think they think, you know, 80% of the people, you know, wish they could think I don't even remember the quote but um, 99% of the people would rather die than think whatever that was I'm just saying that this is a continuation of noise and incorrect thinking this idea I'm afraid to pay a premium I've got to get 100% of the cash value collateralized immediately is short term thinking is my point Um, and I tell people quite often listen if you're scared to pay a life insurance premium or you want to pay pennies in you know pennies in pennies out just go buy a, you know a bond portfolio and buy a 30-year term yeah and then go see if you can get a banker to you know leverage that bond portfolio and jump through their hoops yeah stay right. dependent upon the third-party conventional lending system what oh yeah. no now we're getting into dependency and control which is the root of Nelson's work. That's the root of it. And, and you, again, like you said earlier, the, the words that we use reveal where you're spending your time. <laughs> it reveals where you're learning. And, and the, the, the guys and girls who are doing this short-term, uh, short-sighted sort of structuring of policies, they, there is no discussion of the banking function. There is no discussion of control over capital. There is no discussion about well, dependency. No, there's all kinds of presentations of here, let me move money from this pocket to the other pocket, and I'm going to create money out of thin air. There's all kinds of examples of, you know, if I take, oh, listen. But that's making the numbers look good, but that's not a discussion of control. That's not a discussion of the golden rule. Who ha- those who have the gold make the rules. It's not a moral discussion. And that's where this really goes. And that's why they don't go there. Because if they did, then we would have to get into a conversation about the long term because the need for finance doesn't disappear. Ever. Nelson said that his one, and it wasn't, he was being modest, but he said his one contribution to financial theory was the acknowledgement that your need for finance during your lifetime is more important than your need for death benefit. And the, the need for finance doesn't disappear and in fact, it's the opposite. As you continue to participate <laughs> economically, the need for finance only increases. And we mentioned it on a previous episode, and I want to stress it again here. The banking system is most hostile to the people who are most economically act- uh, most economically active. Right? The more financially competent you are, the more skeptical the system is of you because you're not as, you're not as easy to control as the financially <laughs> illiterate are. Okay, that's just what it is. That's why a consumer with no credit history can walk into a bank and pay 5% down and get a house in the suburbs. 
But someone who is an investor who knows what they're doing. 40% right? down. Yeah. You're an investor. And, You're not and, a new homeowner. And reveal to me your character, right? Show me all your financials. Let me investigate and poke through it all. Oh, and then by the way, every bit of that property is going to be collateralized. And not just collateralized at market value, it's going to be over collateralized. So just in case you, economically active person, fail to repay the loan, which you won't, but if you did, now I as the bank can repossess the property, sell it at a fire sale price, and still reap a profit. Wait a minute. I mean, how convenient. <laughs> when it, when it, you're being generous, and I know we've talked about it many times. The the banker always, the third-party lender, always requires more uh, collateral than the than the loan. So if I'm borrowing a million dollars, they want a million two in collateral. Right. When you sign that, and I understand non-recourse loans, I get all that, and I'm not interested in debating all you financial gurus. It's like, show me your non-recourse loans before you enter the debate, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, whenever you sign the dotted line there, number one, the money didn't exist until you put your John Henry on that paper. So we're all part of this problem of fractional reserve banking when we engage the third-party lender. And I'm not, you know... Uh, talking about morality that's a fact that's a fact okay now the banker always they have to they must require more collateral than the value of a loan and whenever you signed your john henry everything that you own every additional asset that you own also collateralizes that loan all right and oh wait a minute and your future production mm. collateralizes that loan so I have no talk about when Nelson says banking is evil, fractional reserve banking is evil, banks lend money that does not exist and that is evil. Man, you can't get any more simple and straightforward than that. And the idea that these banks work off a, 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 a difference margin. or a spread, get a job. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, oh wait, you deposit money, they might pay you 1%, I don't know, a CD, Ooh. let's say they pay you 2% on their CD. <laughs> and then you turn around and collateralize the CD and they'll loan you money at, at two, or, or not two, two points above. So they're just making 2%. It's <laughs> like, really? Yeah. No, and you know they're there's lending. economists out there who will teach that, who explain it, th who explain banking that way. Listen, there. I mean, we have look, we have. I have bankers that are clients, and had bankers that are clients. The average or the local banker, I don't want to say average. All the people that listen to this, and I'm not patronizing. I mean, I really truly believe that you're above average. I believe that. So when I say average, I'm just talking statistically, not intellectually. Okay, all right. The uh, local banker, the regional banker, you know, the, the community banker, the local banker, most of them don't, do not understand how fractional reserve banking works. So when, um, and when they do get educated, then there's a conflict. They always get around to making the decision, do I stay or do I go, right? <laughs> and, um, Which is so great. Better to have a choice to change and improve than to remain ignorant and just continue down and build a career on some illicit economic practice. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, the, the economics, the economy can't operate without the free flow of money. Yeah, no question. That doesn't mean it has to be cardalized, centralized, Ooh. and controlled. I mean, becoming your own banker. Now, if I have accumulated capital um, and I'm in the position to become my own banker, and it takes 14 years for the average bear... Um, what happens in the 15th and 16th year if I have become my own banker 
And maybe I did it in 10 because I'm above average or whatever. Yeah. I mean. I can lend money privately. It goes on all day long. Oh, my goodness. What? And the more of that that goes on, the better off we will all be. Yeah. I had this discussion with a, a particular new client this past week because, you know, uh, well, if I'm paying all this premium and building all this cash value, you know, what do I do with the cash value? Right. And we get that question a lot. Is there an example? You know, you had a, a pretty famous now uh, presentation about financing your truck, right? As an example of what could be done with cash value. Famous. Can I get royalties? I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to merch it up. Monetized. <laughs> other ads. Um, I still drive that truck today. Despite <laughs> the many problems that have occurred with it. <laughs> what what problems? So it needs repairs. I take care of my stuff, my equipment. What are you talking yeah, about? I'm talking about your uh, friendly Texas ranch animals chewing through some of the wiring. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, okay. Uh, so look, the mechanics got to be in business. I'm just supporting the local business. Exactly. <laughs> you know. All right. So you know that's an example of what could what James did in one particular instance with <clears> the cash value. You're going through a purchase right now or utilizing some cash value and and those oh, that's continual i mean we finance every major purchase yeah so all those illustrations can be helpful right but what we don't want to we don't want to miss the forest for the trees or put the cart before the horse because the the power in accumulating capital is what's yet to be seen Right now, and I talk about it in my 2019 talk at the Nelson Nash Institute, and Nelson's got a couple lines in becoming your own banker and building your warehouse of wealth on this topic. But capital attracts opportunity. And maybe we have an idea of what that opportunity will be. Right? Maybe there is something that, you, you know, you've already, you've already been thinking somewhat entrepreneurially. You see an opportunity, and all you need is the financing to get there. Right? Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not the case. Right? We're brought up in this construct where, uh, the only kind of investing that we think is accessible or, or, or even preferable has you know, the, these single-digit and maybe double-digit annual rates of return pre-tax, right? And that, that's so, that, that is depressing and sad to me because the, the, the true returns, like the legitimate uh, profits to be made, when we're talking four, five, six, seven digits, right? We're talking... Uh, Multiples. Bit, like... We, I don't want just a, a little bit of a fraction of my uh, initial investment back in the form of return. I want a multiple of it back, right? And and that's available, right? So I have a, he's an engineer, has some uh, ability in software, has thought about creating various tools that could be used in the software of which I know nothing, right? And that's fine. Uh, but the idea had never been presented that you, the individual, are the most profitable investment option in your lifetime, right? You've done better for yourself than anything you've bought. And at the end of the day, anything you bought that generated a return for you, it did that because you bought it. And right? that applies to everyone, husband and wife, grandmother, grandfather. Everybody. Everyone. Yeah. Everybody. There's so the idea that somebody 3,000 miles away knows better to do with your money than you is erroneous. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's sad because people get convinced of that. They think they need to go find the expert Wall Street person to invest their funds when, in fact, we're missing all of this opportunity that's right before us that we would see if we had access to capital. The knowledge of access to and control over capital transforms the economic landscape. When you, know, when you know you can exercise all sorts of purchasing power because you've systematically accumulated capital over your lifetime, 
the investment and entrepreneurial landscape looks different. You know, I got to share a story. Um, Jake, my youngest son, illustration ninja, he's 20, he's in his late 20s, okay? (laughs) When he was a young man, I mean a child, when he was a child, he loved the idea of RVs, Hmm. right? And we're living in Arlington, Texas, uh, so we're going back, you know, over 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know why he liked RVs. Um, Me neither. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we, because he did, we would go to an RV show, mm-hmm. right? So we could walk through them and he could see and be enamored. And when we're going back a long time, all right, when, when my wife and I, and Jake were walking through the big uh, Tarrant County Convention Center, huge, all, mm. you know, big, it was a big deal. I mean, y'all probably, y'all been to RV shows, all right? Okay, we're walking around there and everybody's, you know, trying to sell you an RV and all that, and we're just enamored. I had no idea you could spend half a million dollars for an RV. <laughs> I didn't, you know. I don't know, you can get down to the bumper pool, the stick and tin is what the competitors were calling them. Uh, <laughs> you know, little bumper pull trailers. Anyway, we're walking around all these things and we're looking and it's like, oh my gosh, I felt so less than, mm. you know, because number one, I couldn't afford one. Mm. And if I did, and I love to travel, um, I wouldn't know how to operate it back then, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay. I just remember feeling less than because they were so expensive and, you know, we didn't have a place to park an RV. Okay, fast forward a couple of years later, um, we went to one. He was a little older. We went to one. He's still a child. And walking through there, and I had met Nelson. I had be, started becoming my own banker. I had started practicing the infinite banking concept, which means pay uber high premiums, right? And I made every mistake, I hope, and I made them on me. Um, but anyway, I'm just, we're walking through the next RV show a couple of years later, several years later, whenever it was. And the feeling of less than the first time because you couldn't afford one. Now the next time we go in there, could have wrote a check for any of them. Mm. I mean, maybe not the half million dollar one, yeah, right? Yeah. But you know, walking through there, knowing full well that you could write a check and walk out with one, I had no desire to buy <laughs> and I so felt not less than yeah. you know. And it was just the idea that you can't. So, so. It, it like it great it grates on me when I can't do something you know mm-hmm. sometimes and I think that's a human characteristic um, but then when you can do it it's like loses all importance mm. and let me tell you what uh, I'm going to continue on that vein of thinking you know Nelson and I um, I learned about Tulsa mm-hmm. the riots of Tulsa in 1921 you know bay, with Nelson you know and we we talked about it we were working on a project and um and I told him at that time, you know, that was a closed um, community, right? And they had mm-hmm. laws that prevented integration and things. Um, and as soon as that that community was destroyed, um, the laws changed where there could be integration. And, and it's almost like you couldn't, they couldn't integrate, we couldn't integrate in that community and as soon as you could integrate then you did and that sense of community was lost Mm. and my point being is this that that was part of the issue you know Tulsa look it up and I've spoke about it before Nelson's commented on it there's been lots of videos and books written about it and what I'm saying it's like a child you tell a child you can't do something and that's what they focus on and want to do 
right? And then as soon as you allow them to do it, then it's like, oh, the importance goes away. Yeah. You know, I think. Um, anyway, it, it allows you to focus on things of true importance. Mm-hmm. Right? Back well, to the family, back to what it is that you do want to do with your life, what your skills are, how you can contribute. Oh my gosh, right? the whole listen, you accumulate capital very quickly. It's been my experience. I have clients, you show them the number, you show them what's going to happen. If you pay this premium, this is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Then they look up and they're like, oh my gosh, they've seen the numbers, they've, they've watched it grow, but then all the, it's almost like it's sudden. It's like boiling water. You know, water bowls at 212 degrees. Think of all that work you have to do. If we go camping, you know, we got to get a campsite, got to gather up some rocks, dig a hole, fire pit, whatever, however you're going to do it. You got to go gather up all the wood. You know, it's a lot of time, effort, and energy. You pile it all up and you start to fire and, you know, get it going, put all the kindling on there, all the labor. As soon as that water, or as soon as that fire boils the water, then, oh my gosh, create yeah. steam clean you can drink the water that's sudden Mm -hmm. is my point okay that's how things happen in life slowly and then all at once yeah it's like capitalism you go on uh on the social media and everything's immediate immediate you know get rich quick 10 steps to get rich and this and this and this and it's like no my experience of capitalism has been slow and grinding Mm -hmm. by gosh you got to pay the price Whatever that means, you know, it means right. education, you know, you got to capitalize and take all the risk. Um, and then it's almost like suddenly, you know, these all of a sudden you made it, all these great things happen. Well, you know, you spoke of a, uh, speaking of a client earlier, mm-hmm. you mentioned the client. I had the opportunity to speak with a client that's 12 years in existence, and I really kind of inherited him from a, you know, a, another agent, um, great guy, but uh, I got a phone call or my office got a phone call like either at the end of last week or the beginning of this week and it says yeah you know I'm just going to surrender this policy oh wow uh, 12 years oh oh right and I'm like that's fine you know so we schedule a phone call work by schedule and I'm available (laughs) can you buy it (laughs) no you cannot so in the life insurance industry if you, you you know life insurance is an asset so the owner actually can sell an asset it's a private asset but it is not good for the insured or the owner to sell that policy it's considered selling their mortality and you will not be able to get another life insurance policy questions about it on the application if you're honest on the application if you're an agent the life insurance companies will cancel your contract because not only does it it does several things it's not good for the consumer it violates the principle of insurance it does it, it, it violates the principles of insurance it goes into investment so the states don't like that the regulators don't like that the life insurance company it changes their um, mortality tables you know how they price uh, and their lapse ratios um, how they price life insurance so but my the short of it is this we scheduled the call and we had a, a lovely and it had been you know a year and a half or so since I had spoken to him I mean he our office provides service to our clients. Um, so there's been contact, right, but not him and I. And we had a lovely conversation uh, in about 30 minutes. And he's like, well, James, I'm getting older. Thought I'd be married by now. I'm not married. You know, he's not remarried. I don't have any children. I don't need the death benefit. I don't need, you know, well, what am I doing with all this cash value? You know, I finance several things, and that's I'm debt-free except for that one remaining loan. He's done very well for himself. 
And uh, and I told him, you know, I'm like, you know, yes, you can sell it because he'd been approached to sell it. And I'm like, sure, you can sell it. And you go through all the pros and cons of selling that. And uh, told him straight up, um, you know, I'd be first in line. I'd write a check if I could before the sun went down. Mm-hmm. I'd write a check. And I told him how much I'd give. But it's all conversation because I can't actually do that. I wouldn't actually do that mm-hmm. um, because I happen to write that policy. So I do buy life insurance right, from other people and other companies all day long if it's a mutual company. But there's full disclosure of all the reasons why you shouldn't do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. We just went through what's going on, right, with his beautifully built, properly built life insurance policy and the value of the death benefit. You know, there is a pecking order that you should take income from your assets whenever you retire, quote unquote, whenever you move into that next phase of your life and you've accumulated all of these things, IRAs, 401ks, real estate, social security, all of these things, these assets that you're going to enjoy income from, there is a sequence, right, of which you take income from assets. Nobody talks about this. No. Right? It's on our client-only access. Then you'd have to talk about the sequence of returns risk. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about <laughs> that all day long. assets are not favorable. But. It, it, we, can, we can talk about, you know, uh, fixed assets and, you know, equity positions I mean we can we can talk about all of it intelligently simply um, without using big words and confusing and all kinds of illustrations and anyway um, you know he had additional benefits to supplement Mm. you know nursing home assisted living home health and we just went through conversationally how much income he could enjoy from or because he owns that life insurance policy. Cash flow. What? And the tax treatment of that. And uh, so we talked about the importance of the death benefit, the collateralized, the outstanding loan, that's accumulating and compounding because you're enjoying the tax-free income, Mm -hmm. how to manage that and what that looked like. And then we talked about his uh, qualified plans and what kind of a cash flow that could produce and the tax treatment of that. And the uh, sunset provision in the current tax laws. And, you know, once you go through that, within 10 minutes, he's like, oh, my gosh, James. Thanks for taking the call, scheduling it with me. Imagine when he could have gave up. I just needed a refresher in what I'm doing uh, and why I'm doing it. He would never sell that policy. As a matter of fact, he has the ability to put more premium in it. He's going to do that. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, he's going to go right up to the limits, which he normally did. Uh, Anyway... Um, you know those calls are great. You know they're encouraging. Yeah, it's like it when it, it's like when Nelson when we used to host Nelson mm-hmm. two or three times a year, once a year, every time, every time. You know, Jana would have to give more blood <laughs> because <laughs> it made you want to buy more. And so, my heart goes out to the individual, the listeners, the clients, the prospective clients, the future clients, you that have not had or did not have the opportunity to hear Nelson live. Um, I'm a slow learner. I heard that man, I don't know how many times, give his 10-hour presentation, right? And I had a conversation as a side note with David Stearns. He said, James, would you quit saying 10 hours? Because Nelson's presentation is now available on DVD, right? 
and it's a six and a half hour presentation. They cut a lot of good stuff out, is what I'm saying. Well, he did a half day one, and that was that was the shorter one, and that's the one they have on. There's got to be other recordings out there somewhere. Oh, there is. There absolutely is. Look, if you want to buy Nelson's, it was a shameless plug, uh, his seminar on DVD, it's a three DVD set at the Nelson Nash Institute. You call my office and I'll give you a 20% discount code that you can use. It's like, God bless you. And you don't even have to give us your name and all that. And, you know, it's not a lead gen deal. Um, Anywho... My heart goes out to the people who didn't have the opportunity to hear him live. So your best opportunity is to listen to him give his live presentation on recording. Yeah. All right. And you should do that. So before you go spend $395 an hour for, you know, a fake fee only, or you spend, I see him anywhere from $39.95, $495, $995, $995 for all these programs. And I'm not saying the programs are bad or mispriced or overpriced. I'm not saying any of that, right? I mean, the the fee only guy at $395, I mean, I think he's personally overpaid, but I don't personally know him. I've just read some of his work, right? And I'm not even disparaging him. I'm disparaging the sales tactic Right, that's what we're talking about. Not, you know, personalities or people individually. I'm talking about the character of the tactic. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Before all that money spent, maybe go to the source. Hey, and for under three hundred, I don't even know under five hundred dollars. I mean, you should be able to buy all the materials you need to buy. Oh, way under five. Yeah. The seminar is, what, 200 on infinitebanking.org? With a books. 20% discount, 160 And the book's 20 bucks, And, I mean... The other book's 25 Throw a DVD in there. A unit of a four-unit college course is four to ten times that Oh, price. no question. <laughs> all right, so, I don't know. You add all that up. How much is it? A lot of savings. I want to mention. I want to <laughs> mention one thing though. You said about you know later in life, passive cash flow. Later in life, you know that one of the things that gets me frustrated. Maybe I'm easily irritable. I don't know. But you should probably get a dog. A lot of the. Oh, that's right. We're gonna mention. I now have a dog. She's Cute gonna, little she's Great over, Dane. Yeah. See, I've influenced a man more than he knows. All right. <laughs> uh, the what, what frustrates me about a lot of these podcasts and media outlets out there that talk about uh, infinite banking or something related to infinite banking like a third to a half of the time and then the rest of the time they talk about mailbox money and passive cash flow and passive income they don't talk about passive cash flow they talk about passive income and all this all, this idea that you want to generate this additional income you know I'm not a tax advisor I'm not a CPA <clears throat> don't want to be no thank you talk to your accountant before you listen to me and all that uh, but income's taxable. What? Okay, and when Warren Buffett wants some money to go around and spend, oh he doesn't tell gosh. Berkshire Hathaway to give him a taxable distribution. Right? He says, lend me some money. What? Because loans are loans. They're not taxable. What? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. what? All right. Well, <clears throat> in order to get into that framework where we're talking about receiving cash flow on a tax-efficient basis, you've got to first adopt a capital perspective because you're not going to enjoy passive cash flow through a lending facility for any 
a substantial amount of time unless you have control over capital that's growing on a compounded guaranteed basis. Uh, unless you're always beholding to the third party lender. Yeah. So you're either uh, somehow managing to compound your dependency on the third party lender or you've decided to target and strategize for capital accumulation over your lifetime. If you've done that, now we can have a discussion. In addition to all the opportunity that you're going to attract to you during your income generating lifetime, in your later life, in your golden years, when it's time to enjoy some passive cash flow to go do whatever it is you want to do, now we can have a discussion about how to do that in a very different tax efficient manner, utilizing loans and loans are loans are not Listen, it sounds to me like you're just trying to earn a commission. <laughs> Talk about closing the loop on that one, right? I mean, um, yeah, but I mean, this is why, because I, sometimes I listen back to the shows that we put out and occasionally have the misfortune of listening to what else is out there. And it's like, uh, clearly something's different because I'm fired up and other people, it's like, oh, ponies and fairy dust and rainbows. And it's like, well, what accounts for that? And so I have a little moment with God, a little prayer time. And it's like, does you he know, square you away? Well, I mean, it's, I think I discount the my own understanding of what I know to be possible with some in, in a situation oh, where no someone question. seriously I think that's a human nature. Yeah, I mean, we we all do that. And I take that for I take it for granted. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And it's like, well, doesn't I mean doesn't everybody know this? I mean, it's a ninety-two page book. This isn't you know. Uh, but, and they don't. Uh, which is why we got to return to it. And that's why it is so important to remain positive and focus on the light and concentrate on what can be done because there's no discussion of it anywhere else in the big wide world here in September 2020. Well, listen, man, you, you, you know, you talk for an hour and an hour and a half. I mean, can't you just tell me what I need to know in 15 minutes? Yeah. I mean, I'm just not interested. <laughs> of the things I'm not interested in, you know, uh, the emails from the agents, God bless you. I know they're trying hard. But, oh, you know, Ryan, you're so great. Can I send you some referrals? Okay, well, that's code for can I refer someone to you, have you do all the work, and then you can pay me some of the commission? And the answer is no. And I'm I'm not, you know, it's just nothing rude. I'm not being uh, – there's nothing personal about it. I'm not interested. Uh, it's short-sighted. I'd encourage you to reread Nelson's book. Go to the seminar. Go to the source. Uh, find, listen to my 2020 Nelson Nash Institute Think Tank talk where I talk through how I came and James, how we came to do what we do in this manner. And there, there is a... It's not a formula, but it's a, it's a method. There's a way of thinking about it. And you can go do you better than anybody else does you. Preach. In the way that we do us better than anybody else does us. And that's your opportunity. I think right? I could do a pretty good job of you. <laughs> I know I could do a pretty good job of some, uh, some historians that are uh, big in the... Yeah, you've got me on the historical front for sure. Huh? You've got me on the historical front for sure. Oh, I'm not. It's, I'm just saying I can I can do some other people in the big wide world. Yeah, yeah. But listen, specialization. Focus on what you're good at. It's where the biggest returns are. You know, let them catch up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested. You know, the the whole the the environment in the financial services world where you know let's just all share revenue and all this it's like collaborate that's oh, a big collaborate can we just Everybody collaborate to collaborate the folks who revenue comment, share I just want to collaborate. Uh, you know, I'm just not. 
I collaborate with I'm, my clients. Exactly. I and collaborate that's where with my wife. Best spent, <laughs> and you know, I, I know the attitude's going to be, oh, they're dogmatic and idealistic, and they don't want to, you know, they're not being friendly, and all this. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, this is like I think I met Nelson like 16 years ago it's been a couple of years now so I had the opportunity to spend about 14 years or so with him you know and I mean like white on rice I mean I was like he turned around I mean it was irritating at first I really thought he didn't like me at first because <laughs> I was so you know uh, right there I mean I talk about water boy I was his water boy you know and, and didn't mind and uh, I so it must have been 2012 because I produced the Banking with Life DVD in 2012 it was released at the first Nelson Nash Institute think tank in February of 2012. I'm sorry, <clears throat> 2013. So the Nelson Nash Institute was created in 2012, right? The first one was in 2013 mm-hmm. when we I released the Banking with Life DVD. And that was a labor of love. It's still available. It still has value. And, you know, we're mapping out what the future work looks like. Okay. Um, I discovered after a couple of years of that, and I conveyed this to every agent that asked, I was convinced, and I still am, that I could take a case of Banking with Life DVDs Mm. and a case of Nelson's first book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and maybe a credit card with a maybe a $10,000 limit. And you could drop me off in any English-speaking community in North America because I don't speak any other language. And I could be successful as an agent and advisor, right? Um, and I still believe that today. And back then, I, you know, I should have done it, you know, but I didn't realize until a couple of years after, but I should have strapped a GoPro to myself and just did that. Mm. And and what I and what I mean by that is there was that was prior to YouTube, okay. And so you can go on YouTube and you can learn an awful lot. I mean, you can dang near get a, a college education on YouTube for free or anywhere else on social media, for better or worse, right? <laughs> um, there's a lot of information out in the big wide world about the infinite banking concept and Nelson's work. And I understand you have to sift through a bunch of. Uh, noise and it's worth the effort it'll help you identify noise right but once you identify the noise or you suspect that it's noise just kick it off right and move on Um, dig deep into you know the truth of what Nelson taught Um, and so today it can still be done you can take Nelson Nash's book you the consumer you the agent and go through that more than one time, right? And you don't need all of these other things, in my opinion, to practice the infinite banking concept. He got it done, and so simply, that's why it irritates, you know, the uh, educated academician, the erudite, because it's so simple. Mm -hmm. It's in layman's terms, straightforward. I mean, he's pointing out things that the Austrians should have known or thought they knew. I mean, I don't want to be hard on your brethren. I mean. Uh, why not? I am. Oh, I don't think you're hard enough. Okay. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, look, tell us. Listen, <clears throat> Mr. Griggs has a new relationship in his life. So. <laughs> yes, I mean, her name is Lucy. 
Lucy. Yeah, she's very young. Tell us about Lucy. Only about, what is it, seven and a half weeks old now. Mm. A little dark fawn. Took her away from her mother a little early. Puppy. Sounds like, I don't know. She was of a big litter, weaned early. Um, Yeah, so we're raising a puppy. Running a business. So if you're not friends with him on Facebook, he posts all the time about his new little puppy. So, I don't know, send him a friend request so you can see all the photos. Or (laughs) (laughs) I post a lot of them that are public, too, so you can just... Okay. Yeah. But no, she's good, and she's having a play date with your dogs right now. Why Great Dane? They're so chill. And you know what bothers me? Okay, so we go out, and it's like, can't leave her alone yet. Right. And the people who want to remind me of the mortality of Great Dane, it's like, who are you? We warned you about that. I... And, and then, oh, her paws are too big. Or her, it's like uh, the things that come to my mind that I want to say, it's like, mm, practice I'm gonna, restraint. I'm practice Christianity right now because, I mean, it's like, it's like, who are you? You know, move on. Um, so, anyway, that's a, been a new experience. But yeah, one thing I did not account for small dog, little bladder, got to get up throughout the day. I'm in a condo, got to go outside and. Yeah, so uh, upstairs. <laughs> yeah, my, my my evenings now are just the the nights of a thousand naps because uh, wow. yeah, full sleep is something I'll enjoy in twenty twenty one. Maybe, <laughs> maybe sooner. But all right, I've had enough. I'm hungry. Miss my dog. You know, people are wanting reviews of these barbecue places that you speak of at the end of every episode. You're, yeah, that's true. I mean, I just spoke with you last evening, and you were buying enough food for a freaking <laughs> army, dude. I, had, I was going to a new place. I hadn't been there before. I wanted to So you sampled sample everything, <laughs> right? Not everything. But, you know, you move to a new town. You want to see what's what's going on. You okay. Speed sooner. Well, listen, I had fun. So did I. We are appreciative that you're listening and tuning in with us and, you know, leave us some comments and uh, come back. Bye, y'all. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.